This episode of the podcast is sponsored by Tools for Trails, because tough trails need tough tools. They offer a wide variety of quality tools and accessories for trail building that are tested and proven by industry leaders. Tools include the Proho 70AR Travis Tool, a multifaceted tool that can do everything you want during trail maintenance. And for trail planning, there's the Sunto PM5 360PC Clinometer to always get your grades correct. For a limited time, Tools for Trails is offering listeners 30% off any order. So visit toolsfortrails.com slash discount slash podcast and get your organization stocked up for the trail building season. You're listening to Frontlines, a podcast for the people that truly make mountain biking happen. Not the riders, racers, or product designers, but the builders, advocates, and the often forgotten board members of your local mountain bike trail association. We've covered some big topics in the last few episodes, and the world outside of trail advocacy is continuing to change on a day-to-day basis with regards to COVID-19. Some are describing a light at the end of the tunnel when it comes to self-isolation. Some are concerned that that light might be making a distant choo-choo sound. I think optimists and pessimists will differ in opinion on what the month of May will look like. The realist in me feels that May will be nowhere close to the normal that we knew in December. And I think for those of us advocates out there, there there's still many things that will not return to normal for months, if not years. For now, we're still self-isolating, whether you're being quote unquote productive or not the most important things that you take care of yourself and your family. But if you're listening to this episode, it might be because you have the space to think, plan, or prepare for the future. This episode isn't necessarily out of the ordinary of other episodes, but it is a departure from recent episodes. My guests and I go through a list of various online tools and what they can help your organization with. We go through a dozen or so, but my intention is not that you use all of them but perhaps one or two might help you out of a jam or, ideally, prevent one in the future. So without any further delay, I'm your host, Brent Hillier, and this is episode 76 of Frontlines. My next guest is Ian Jones. He's the president of the Southwest Montana Mountain Bike Association, and he joins me from Bozeman, Montana. Hey, Ian, thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me on, Brent. Maybe before we kind of dive into our conversation of, of all the various tech resources that are out there for, for trail associations and, and nonprofits alike, let's just kind of talk a little bit about your organization, the, the Southwest Montana Mountain Bike Association. Give us a little bit of a, a history of the organization. How old is it? Uh, what's, uh, what's your timeline with that organization as well? Yeah, so Swimbo was founded around 2015, so we're fairly new. We've only got about five years of experience under our belt, but we've built close to 20 miles of trail in the Bozeman area already. And uh, yeah, my history with the organization has been a very long one. I was actually one of the original founders of Swimba, and I've been the president since its founding. And I've got probably another five years of work ahead of me, so... That's awesome. Now, uh, recently, the organization has just brought on their first employee. When did that actually happen? What was the the process to get to there? Like, was it a conversation that's been happening for the last couple of years? Um, when were they actually brought on? And uh, and and what's their role? And uh, and and there are they full time, part time, that kind of thing? Yeah. So Swimba's always really reached for the stars when it comes to uh, delivering our mission statement. And one of the things that we originally talked about when we were first founded was where do we go from just a volunteer organization? And most organizations, especially trail organizations, eventually do get an employee. Uh, We wanted to do this the right way. So when we finally had enough money to hire someone, we didn't want to hire someone who was um, just going to take money from the organization and put it into one thing and have that thing be well done. We wanted to have someone who was going to take the money um, from the organization and really multiply it over time and increase the organizational capacity so that we could deliver our mission tenfold larger than it already is currently. And what we did for that was we started looking at ways that we could 
better serve our mission statement and better serve our constituency. And it really came down to building more trails, maintaining more trails, and really engaging with the community better. And part of that is the funding of all of it. To get all that funding, we decided that we would first hire a development person. Um, and for anyone who doesn't understand what a development person does, they basically do fundraising over a long time scale. They're focused mostly on building relationships with the community, building donor relationships, looking for different grants, looking for different ways of funding for projects, creatively thinking of ways to run a fundraising campaign, and everything in between. So we went with that direction instead of hiring someone to specifically go and build trails because we wanted to make sure that the organization would last into the long term and would really stand the test of time. What was the the hiring process like? Did you have lots of people uh, apply? Um, Was there somebody within the community that you kind of had in mind when you created the position? Yeah, so we actually put together a hiring process that involved a number of our board of directors interviewing people. Since we didn't, didn't have an employee to begin with, we didn't really have anyone that we could just delegate that to. So we had a hiring committee of four people from our board that would meet with prospective applicants. And we put out the application for a 30-day period, interviewed roughly six or seven people. But we ended up actually getting close to 20 resumes um, or 20 applications for the position. Um, And as I said, we only interviewed six or seven people. And out of that, only three people got two interviews. So we we whittled it down really quickly. Um, We looked for qualifying factors like a background in development, educational background in development, ability to actually do the development work. So an interpersonal relationship that was strong and a real drive for doing it. Diving into kind of our, our topic for this episode, what, what I want to look at is, uh, and, and what we want to look at is a, just a number of, of tech resources that are out there. And, and whether these are, are resources that are going to help paid staff do more or taking a, an all volunteer organization and make sure that we're not bogging down any one volunteer in just the nitty gritty day to day stuff that it, it takes to, to run an organization. And, and I think the, the first one that, uh, that I'd like to, to touch on is, is just on that communication front right there, whether it's communication amongst the board or communication amongst various committees that you might have in an organization or communication between staff and the board or, or vice versa. Uh, and, and the big one that, that jumps out and the one that I'm definitely familiar with is, is Slack. And, uh, and so just so that folks understand who might not be on Slack, what is Slack and, and, uh, and what's so great about it? Yeah. So Slack is an organizational communication tool. It kind of evolved out of the world of AOL Instant Messenger and um, America Online emailing back in the 90s. Slack uh, got developed earlier in the 2000s, I want to say, somewhere around there, as a way to pull both email messages and instant messages into one platform and have dynamic interactions between individuals across an organization in one place that could be historically referenced and also searchable. Um, The really nice thing about Slack is that for nonprofits, there's an option for it to be free. So you get to have some of the best software for actual collaboration within an organization for free uh, for your board members, for your employees, um, and it can extend out to volunteers and additional individuals as well. So. I think for me, when I initially looked at Slack, I kind of thought like, oh, this just seems like another thing I have to check. Like I got to check my emails. I got to check my text messages and I got to check my Facebook messages and I got to do this and I got to do that. And it was like, now, now, you know, you're just throwing me another thing that I got to log on to every day and, and check, but it's, it's not quite that. Like it, it really ties these things together. Can you kind of describe for us like how it, it makes things easier without just adding another thing to, to our plate as far as communication goes? Oof, yeah, um, that's a tough one because it kind of pulls all of those things together into one area. Yeah. So what I see a lot of is instead of having a, a meeting 
which um, pre-COVID-19 would have been like going to a coffee <laughs> shop and meeting with someone. Yeah, you can yeah. just text them on Slack and they can respond to it whenever they're ready um, to respond to it. Um, and then another thing is instead of sending a huge email that's multiple paragraphs long, you can just type a topic into a specific channel within Slack and uh, people can reply to it over time. And you don't get this giant chain of emails that stretches on infinitely. <laughs> Add to that that you can actually have some conferencing services within Slack as well. So you can do meetings, you can do phone calls, um, and you can share files across Slack as well. So, I mean, it, it seriously cuts down the amount of email time that you have. I also have Slack on my phone. So whenever someone does something in Slack, I get a notification of it, and I can go and I can respond to it in line right as I'm there. So it also te- takes over texting. <laughs> Yeah, it's uh it's it's quite uh, amazing. I think if you can get it so that it's organized, you know, and, and that's a big thing where you get the right person to kind of take it on and and create the the various threads on it, which I really liked. And so you've got, let's say you've got your group rides, you know, and you've got a, a group of people on the board that are in charge of, of group rides. And you've got a group of people that are in charge of fundraising or fun races that you might organize or a, a specific event. You can create various threads for them on this and, and, and kind of organize it that way. And what's really great is you can, as an individual, you can really tune into the things that you need to tune into, but more importantly, tune out of the things that don't pertain to you instead of this kind of mass reply all type of situation where you're just seeing stuff that, that isn't useful. It, it's, it can, you can really curate the information that, that you need to see and who needs to see it, which is great. Um, and, and, you know, the mobile app is fantastic as, as well. Part of, part of me is that it was almost too good sometimes that I was, I was turning it off <laughs> quite a bit because yep. it is so engaging. And that was one of those things where it's like, okay, no, no, no I got to set my hours now of like, Hey, I'm off. And, and, and so I would just go into my Slack app and just turn it off at certain points just to, to recognize. Cause you could, you could almost stay on top of things too much that your personal life is that affected. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I would say there's probably 30 some odd channels that we have within Slack and most of our members are only part of maybe two to five of them. Mm. Um, So they're able to really curate what they have to see and what they want to see. Yeah. Yeah. Which is great. One of the things that stood out to me with it was when I went on vacation and then came back and how quickly I could catch up on what I had missed over that, that week of holidays. I thought that was really neat how I could just go back and check things over. And, and if there was something that maybe I didn't catch, the ability to search was really cool in there as well. I think it's a, I think it's a great tool. And, you know, with this being free to nonprofits, I think it's kind of one of those things where uh, I really think everybody should be on this. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's probably the most powerful tool that our organization uses. Um, and I mean, we've got a website and we've got web hosting and we've got an email system and we've got all that stuff, but like Slack is what makes Swimba work. Uh, now you've, you've kind of discussed that, that Slack has some of these, uh, communication tools. And, and so Google Hangouts is kind of the, the other one that I think of. And I think at this point now, probably everybody is having their, their meetings online at this point. And perhaps some people were having online meetings previous to this. Are you using Slack for that? Or are you using something like Google Hangouts to, to do your, your meetings right now? So we're using Google Hangouts right now. We use Google Hangouts primarily because all of our board members have Google email addresses uh, through our domain. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's easier to set those up quickly um, and really be able to discern what the audience is for a meeting and set that and leave it and just meet. So there's a lot of other meeting tools out there as well. And I know that a lot of other meeting tools are now becoming free because of the current situation. But we set up all of this stuff along way back. (laughs) We've been doing uh, virtual meetings for our board and our volunteers for about four years now. So it's been something that we've consistently done all the way up until now. So even even with the current situation causing a bunch of impacts on in-person meetings, uh, Mm -hmm. a lot of our internal meetings have no real impact because we've already been doing them virtually in certain cases. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah, it's it's funny how this this COVID nineteen has has affected some people. I think more than than others. I think some of us were, you know, already doing 
certain things virtually or, or, you know, ordering, getting groceries by the mail or, or doing pickups at the grocery stores or this and that. Right. And it's, it's interesting how now I think a lot more people are, are just kind of jumping onto the things that the many of us were doing already. And, and definitely that, that, uh, virtual meetings and virtual conversations is a big thing. It's a big thing that I, I, I mean, you're in Bozeman. I'm not in Bozeman right now. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's not a COVID-19 Bozeman, go thing. For a bike ride. <laughs> <laughs> I'd love to be in Bozeman and go for a bike ride. I think at this point I'd love to be anywhere and go for a bike ride. <laughs> uh, but it's, you know, it, there's so much, so much power that you can have with, with being able to communicate to people anywhere. Right. And, and being able to stay home and, and staying comfortable. Right. I think, I think in a lot of ways that we might start leaning towards this stuff, even in the future and in, in a post COVID-19 world, um, you know, why not have some of our meetings online? Why not take advantage of that? Yeah. I mean, even for us, we've got a bunch of mountain bikers on our board and they all like to take mountain bike trips. Bozeman's not necessarily the best place to go mountain biking year round. Um, <laughs> We have a pretty harsh winter and uh, our shoulder seasons tend to last a few months. So our folks are all over the country most of the time. So we've, we always try to make sure that there's an online meeting for any, for any meeting that's of importance so that everyone can join. Kind of on the, the note of, of Google, since we're discussing that, uh, emails, domain, you know, what other, uh, op or what other resources does Google offer besides kind of in some respects controlling the entire internet? <laughs> I mean, uh, yeah, like you stated, Google basically controls the entire internet. They have a service for everything. Um, our phone number is actually run through Google Voice. Oh, wow. <laughs> so, um, not only do they have our web hosting, They've got our phone number. They've got all of our email addresses. They've got our master login email address that we use for everything else on the internet. We trust Google with quite a bit. <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, and they, so what's the cost to that? I know that they offer some, some stuff for nonprofits as well. What, uh, what do they offer for nonprofits? Yeah, so nonprofits actually get some of the Google services for free. Um, what you would want to do for that is set up a Google Suite account with a nonprofit. Um, you can easily just submit all of the paperwork that you need to prove that you're a nonprofit to Google, and they will spin you up a nice instance. Um, and that Google Suite account covers quite a bit. It covers all of those items like we already mentioned, uh, the domain hosting, and then also the email addresses and uh, the Google Voice account. Um, but for the domain services specifically, you still have to pay a yearly fee for those. Mm -hmm. um, domains just aren't aren't free. Uh, yeah, I think a big one for me is is the unlimited uh, amount of of emails. I know there was a time when when you had a, a Google account, you just had an unlimited amount with the domain. Some of the the websites that I've I've worked with, uh, we've been grandfathered in with some of those, which has been nice. Yep. But with the nonprofits, you still get an unlimited amount of emails, which I think is great. Any new board members that you get on, you can give them their customized email, which I think is really helpful. But also I'm a, I'm a huge fan of creating various emails, like a trails at email address, uh, you know, obviously your info at email address, but, but different things just because to, for me, the biggest thing is, is organization. And I think that's one of the, the big reasons why I like Slack as well as that threads. And I think by having those multiple email accounts, you can, you can help to manage that as well. Definitely. And actually Slack and uh, Gmail have an integration that allows you to move emails right into Slack. So if you have someone who's emailing you outside of the organization and you need feedback from a bunch of people, you can just post their email right into a channel, which oh, wow. is very powerful. That's awesome. So. Uh, and then I, I think the big one, which probably won't need a lot of discussion, but but with Google as well, you've got their spreadsheets, their docs, and their PowerPoints, oh, yeah. and and the ability to to work on projects within a group is great. I am a huge nut for Excel, and uh, and I'm pretty impressed with with Google Sheets. I think is what they call it. It's got like as much functionality as what I need in most Excel spreadsheets. There's a couple of Excel spreadsheets that I still work on in Excel as opposed to using Google Sheets, but those are just because they're a little bit over-the-top complicated <laughs> spreadsheets. <laughs> uh, for the most part, I think most people are going to be pretty happy with the basic functions that that Google Sheets can offer. And then the ability to work on things with other people is is huge. 
Yep. Yeah. And we, we use all of those as well. We try to stick on to Google Docs and on Google Sheets as much as possible. We actually do our yearly budgeting meetings off of Google Sheets, which sounds incredibly boring, but they last mm-hmm. for three hours and the board seems very engaged. So yeah, I think yeah. they enjoy it. Yeah. <laughs> That's interesting. I think, I think it might be more because when I think of a budget meeting, you usually have like a printed piece of paper uh, with with a bunch of numbers on them, or you're looking at a screen with a bunch of numbers on it. But I think when you're, you have the ability to kind of move your cursor around and click on things and see things, I think it is a little bit more engaging. And I mean, money is a very important part of an organization. And so <laughs> I should hope that everybody's engaged when it comes to that discussion, but I, it, it doesn't surprise me that, that perhaps that's not always the case. Yep. We try to make sure that everything is in Google Sheets because then we can just easily share it with Google Drive, which is actually our file repository system. Yeah, and that's that's a good one to to note as well. You know, similar to like a Dropbox or this, you know, Google Drive can function to store photos and and that kind of stuff as well. Oh yeah, you can actually get it to be much more complex than Dropbox. So. Um, we have a system set up with Google Drive currently where we've got an internal and an external folder. Um, our board and our employees are allowed in the internal folder and they can move and edit and change things as much as they want. That's where we keep a lot of our more important documents and then also login information if we have anything stored. Um, and then we've got an external box that we allow volunteers into and they can move around stuff, upload photos, edit documents, see organizational announcements and anything that's published in there. And uh, it's very successful and very helpful for everyone involved to have that set up. Moving down kind of the list of resources that we have there, the next one is is MailChimp for newsletters. What uh, what does MailChimp offer that, uh, that perhaps you can't do on your own or with other uh, resources that are out there? Um, I mean... That That's a really good question because it doesn't really offer anything other than ease of use in mm. conjunction with uh, the ability to manage audiences and profiles like that. The nice thing about MailChimp is that you can keep most of your marketing in one place. Um, so it, it, doesn't, it doesn't have you spread across a bunch of different platforms for emailing and for social media outreach. You can even do mailed postcards from MailChimp now. Um, You can do surveys from there. You can even set up splash pages and advertisements from there as well if you have more of a sales end of things. Ultimately, MailChimp is one of those things where you're paying for the convenience of having everything in one place. We could do all of our emailing through Google. We wouldn't be able to track it. We wouldn't be able to find out who's opening what. Um, So MailChimp allows us to do that. Yeah, the the big thing that we've found with MailChimp most recently is we can set up coordinated campaigns across multiple different platforms. Interesting. So, yeah, so we can have an email go out. A couple of days later, we'll have a social media message go out, and then we'll have a follow-up email go out to the folks who don't open the, the original email. We're exploring how to use that best in the future. Now, just to back up a couple there, when you say uh, mail-out postcards, do you actually mean like snail mail? Yeah. Yeah. MailChimp wow. actually supports that now, which is just <laughs> crazy. Cool. I think you still have to pay for postage, but uh, yeah, yeah. It's, but it's to manage amazing. that, I mean, if that's something that you want to take advantage of, then then to manage it on that system is pretty cool. No, it's, I mean, when I first saw that, I was like, I don't, I don't really see the purpose of this, but then yeah. I started thinking about it and it's like, oh yeah, actually we do a lot of mailings too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it is one of those is like, my mind's just kind of reeling right now thinking like, no, there's some, there's some things that I could see wanting to send out to people. Right. Yep. Um, yeah. And, and it probably, you know, obviously you can't track engagement once you've kind of put things on paper and sent it out there, but I, I, there, you might get a higher engagement by actually giving people tangible things to hold on to. So yeah, surprisingly, you can actually track engagement from a mailed postcard. Hmm. By using a web link. (laughs) Right. So people open the postcard and they look at it and they're interested. They'll go to the web link and uh, you can track their visits from there. Awesome. Uh, So the next one here is is Trello and it's a a project management app. And I have it in my notes here that it's free, which is great. It's a great price. Um, What is Trello? Yeah. So Trello is a Kanban style um, 
I guess, project management app. Um, really, it just does task management. So mm-hmm. it, it's one of the products that is owned by the Australian company Atlassian. Um, they also do Jira and Confluence for folks who may be in the software realm and know what those are. Basically, it allows you to post a task with a number of different details associated with it, anything from like a bulleted list to a set of deliverables with checkboxes next to them. Uh, you can set a due date. You can set a person who owns that task. You can track it over time, move it to different spots on the board, um, and you can set up a nearly unlimited number of boards. I think I think that they're not limiting it currently. Yeah, it's it's really powerful because you can basically it's like post-it notes online, basically. Yeah, it's <laughs> <laughs> the easiest way I can describe it. Yeah. So. How does how does your organization use it? So we're currently using it to track tasks for our development associate. Um, okay. We found that there was a lot of board members who were assigning tasks to the person, and they were getting inundated with requests to do certain mm-hmm. things. <laughs> so this is a, the challenge of being an employee of a of a nonprofit is sometimes you have eight bosses, <laughs> or yeah. it feels like you have eight bosses. Yeah. So we had to put in in place a process <laughs> that allowed us to. Uh, <laughs> kind of filter those in uh, an order of priority (laughs) gotcha gotcha and trello is that for us so cool yeah that's great uh so next one here is is squarespace um and this is uh, a couple of things that that squarespace does um what uh, what do you use squarespace for Ooh, um so squarespace is where we actually have our website built out so they're um i guess technically our web hosts so domain is still through Google. Domain is through Google. Yep. Um, yep. But you're and, hosting through Squarespace. Yep. Exactly. Our website's built out there. We actually use it for our online store as well. Um, that was the main deciding factor for us moving over to Squarespace when we were first founded, because um, we were looking for a, a hosting service for our website back in 2015. And uh, there's three main hosts that you can use that are basically plug and play very easy for volunteers to manage. Um, Squarespace is one of them. There's also Wix and there's also WordPress. Wix and WordPress are fairly similar. WordPress kind of evolved out of a blogger website um, and Wix evolved primarily for web hosting. Squarespace evolved primarily for e-commerce. They have different looks and feels and they've got different levels of compatibility and different levels of complexity. But we went with Squarespace primarily because they had plug and play online store. And with Squarespace, you know, when we're talking about merchandise and, and e-commerce, there's also the ability to sell in person with Squarespace. Correct. Yeah. So that's the really cool thing about Squarespace is they partner with Square, um, which is actually a completely different company, turns out. Okay. Um, it's, it's good to know because I thought they were, but then at the same time, maybe there's they weren't. <laughs> yeah, no, they are. They happy are, accident. <laughs> <laughs> I think they were both developed around the same time. Squarespace was like, oh, let's make a website. And then Square yeah. was like, oh, let's make a in-person transactional platform. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and then they're like, we both named each other the same. Uh, yeah. But yeah, so Square and Squarespace are different. Um, Squarespace has the e-commerce end of things, so the web hosting the website, the store, inventory tracking. And then they partner with Square, which does the Square Reader for transactional processing. So we actually have our website hooked up to Square for all of our transaction processing. So that's any credit cards or debit cards that are supported by the three main big companies for those, which is American Express, Visa, MasterCard. And for a lot of people, they're going to be familiar with Square's kind of point of sale yep. credit card machines. And, and then that little one that plugs into your phone, which is the one that, that uh, the organization that I'm with uses for any kind of in-person sales. Yeah. So the nice thing about that is that you can have those little things plugged into your phone and they've got, I think, two different versions of it currently. Um, one that is just a magnetic swipe and then one that is a uh, chip reader. And then they've also got a point of sale, which is like an iPad with uh, both of those integrated into it. And the nice thing about it is since we are using Square for the transaction and we're using Squarespace for our inventory management and storefront, they integrate together. So we can actually 
manage our inventory at point of sale as well. So whenever we're at an event and we sell something, it'll knock it back in our inventory. So we always know exactly how much of any piece of merchandise we have. Kind of along that path, then there's uh, Stripe and PayPal. How do they differentiate from something like Square? And and are, is, is an organization going to use kind of all three of those? Are they going to pick and choose maybe two of them or maybe even just stick with one of those items? Yeah, so Stripe is actually the technical backend that most folks use in Square and Squarespace for credit card processing. You will have to use either PayPal or Stripe. Um, There may be a few other things out there like Google Wallet or Apple Wallet or Samsung Pay um, that may be able to do those processing for you, but they'll be very limited. Stripe is probably the most diverse in having the ability to actually process these payments. We use Stripe very frequently for that. And then PayPal has a number of different functionalities for donations. And then also you can have a PayPal wallet set up that allows instantaneous transfer for folks. Um, And it it gives a consumer an added benefit of security because PayPal has some additional features in it that allows for them to pull back payments and stuff like that. And both have nonprofit rates as well, which is great. Yep, correct. And then I guess, you know, kind of related to that too is is, uh, is DonorBox uh, as well. So what's DonorBox and how would that differ from uh, having people just go directly to, to PayPal to make donations? Yeah, so DonorBox is actually an interface for donations. Um, so it operates very similarly to how PayPal would do a donation, but you can actually plug a donation interface right into your website. Um, so what you'll see is a, a small box next to, let's say, a picture or a paragraph of text, and that box will have a number of different donation levels in it, and you can process your payment right through those donation levels. So it allows a user to not even leave a page and donate to an organization. On the back end for the do- for the actual organizations that are getting the donations, they're able to track who's donating and how much they're donating and process recurring payments uh, a lot easier. And other than the, the credit card fee, um, there are no other transaction fees um, for donations under 1000 Is that correct? Yes. So DonorBox doesn't charge anything for um, any of their donation services under $1,000 per month. So if an organization makes $999.99 gotcha. in a month, they won't get charged at all. That's amazing. Yeah, and then the ability to also do uh, monthly donations and subscriptions, which PayPal does as well, um, but that's always a, a great one for folks. Yep, yep, and PayPal does do that as well. Um, it's a little bit more difficult to set up. DonorBox is very user friendly, and then you know, kind of related to to funding and and revenue coming in. Uh, the the next big thing is is membership, and I think this is a. This is a can of worms. I mean, I've done a whole episode on one particular membership system that's out there, um, but you guys use uh, Salesforce CRM, and uh, and what do you like about that, and uh, and why did you go with that uh, resource for your membership? Salesforce is a CRM, which is a customer relationship management software. Um, unlike a lot of other membership-oriented software platforms, Salesforce is designed for Fortune 500 companies. Um, and is used across almost every industry in the world, including nonprofits and everything from there to even folks like um, Apple and Google have Salesforce instances. So um, it is the gold standard for managing customers across almost every industry in the world. It's got a robust user base because not only does Salesforce do nonprofit work, which is how we are involved with it, but they also do pretty much every other kind of work from small regional companies all the way up to huge multinational companies. So if we have an issue with Salesforce, it only takes a Google search to find a solution. Add to that the fact that I'm actually a Salesforce consultant for a separate consulting company. Um, <laughs> we yeah. have an admin on on staff. <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah, and then Salesforce also does a lot of additional features on top of just the basic stuff that they they sell. They have a nonprofit success pack that they offer for free to nonprofits. 
that basically immediately configures a Salesforce environment to handle memberships and donations and tracking donors and tracking contacts. Salesforce also integrates with practically everything. So we have it integrated with our MailChimp. We have it integrated with Slack, with our Google suite, with our website. And also we used to have it integrated with a a different mail service that we had as well. So Sounds powerful. Yeah, it's basically the hub for all of our information about donors and members. So we we try to use it as best we can to maintain that data in the long run because ultimately when you're looking at donors and members, it's the information and the relationships that you build with them that are important, not so much however much they donated last year. So then a, a few more here to kind of finish things up is uh, CalTopo, uh, which is some mapping software. What does CalTopo allow you to do? Yeah, CalTopo is actually what we use to do a lot of our mapping. Um, it allows us to share maps dynamically with different people um, and also allows us to build dream lines, as I like to call them. <laughs> um, you can You can overlay a whole bunch of different maps. So in the US, we've got something called the NAIP, which is uh, basically just a national map system that has come out with a couple of different iterations for maps in our region. We also have land manager overlays and everything from Google Terrain to a custom map builder overlay as well. So we can see slope angles, we can see areas that may be marshy or wet based on different mapping softwares. And it's it's got all of the stuff that you would normally find elsewhere, but in a point and click manner. Yeah. Cool. Uh, that's also free to use, which is amazing. Um, important. Yeah. That one that one sounds dangerous. It sounds like you could spend a lot of time on it. <laughs> yeah, it was originally developed for backcountry <laughs> skiers. So ah, okay. Yeah. <laughs> yep. And then Canva is uh is the next one here. Graphic uh, so it's a graphic design service. What does it what does it do? What do you use it for? Yeah, so Canva allows you to create designs and then basically dynamically modify them to fit different sizes or different uh, shaped media. So the really cool thing that we do with it is whenever we have an event, we'll come up with a design on Canva. Um, one of our volunteers really enjoys using it. So she'll go in there, she'll make a design, we'll edit it here and there, and then we'll put together a bunch of different things. So 11 by 17 posters, eight and a half by 11 uh, flyers. We'll put together letterhead, social media post images, and everything in between from that one design. It helps dynamically size it for those media, but it doesn't do everything for it. So we can just shift things around. And there are free versions of Canva. We currently have a paid version. It's very powerful for that. And it's a lot cheaper than Adobe Illustrator. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, and this is where, you know, there's a couple of things that kind of come to mind is, is, you know, how much uh, is, is the, the paid version that, that, that you guys are using? And then the other one too is, is your board member that, that does a lot of this work? Are they like, do they have a background in graphic design or is, are they somebody that's just kind of really into it and, and are kind of learning as they go? Yeah. So, I mean, they, they have a background in art for sure, not graphic design specifically. They just really enjoy doing it. And it's Mm -hmm. generally cheaper for us to do it that direction than it is to hire a graphic designer. Graphic designers earn their weight in gold, but (laughs) at the same time, they're very expensive for a nonprofit. (laughs) So we have to pick and choose where we're going to utilize them. Um, And I believe that we're on a plan that's about $120 a a year. Nine ninety five a month. Yeah. So, but the free version has everything that you need to do basic stuff. So, yeah. I mean, when it comes to the the fantasy board of directors, the graphic designer is definitely on that uh, that dream board of directors for sure. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Good luck finding them though, because they rarely have free time. (laughs) Yeah, I I am very grateful right now for a couple of our board members on the North Shore Mountain Bike Association who who do amazing work, and uh, and I know uh, we are taking full advantage of them right now, and and uh, and they're it's awesome what they're doing. But uh, um, you know, you do what you can with with folks when you have them, and uh, and and this is where you've got options when when you don't have those people like Canva and and other things. Uh, Stuff that I've used too is. there's the, always the ability to use and, and, 
I always forget what they're the, the names of some of them, but there's great websites out there where you can kind of crowdsource graphic designers as well. Those are always uh, uh, great resources. Yep. Um, you know, especially when you're, when you're coming up with something like a logo, which is going to take a lot of work and a lot of time. And you'd be surprised how many graphic designers you have in your community already as well. So that's a good point. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then the, the last one that I have here on my, my list is, is Zapier. Did I pronounce that right? Is it Zapier? I think so. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. A lot of these tech companies come up with very weird <laughs> names and it's hard to figure out what the actual pronunciation is. So totally, totally. How many, how many times does somebody at Squarespace have to explain that they're actually not square and vice versa? I'm sure. That, I think uh, that, that each one of them actually has a knowledge base article dedicated to that. <laughs> <laughs> that was one of the things when I worked for Trail Forks. Trail Forks is all one word, and everybody would always separate it into two separate words. So when I created Frontlines, I thought I'm going to get ahead of this, and I'll make Frontlines two separate words. And uh, and everybody who it seems like everybody who emails me always puts Frontlines as one word. So yeah, you can't win. Just, <laughs> no, you can't ever win. <laughs> so uh, so anyway, so Zapier. What is Zapier? What does it do? So Zapier is an integration software. Most folks would know them as middleware. Basically, it connects different pieces of software to other pieces of software. So interesting. one of the big problems with having a whole bunch of different tech options out there that nonprofits can use is actually making sure that they communicate with each other. I can just imagine seeing a volunteer right now downloading a spreadsheet from one platform and having to upload it into another and go <laughs> through all the different errors that will definitely pop up yeah. yeah. <laughs> and uh, it makes me very thankful that we finally moved over to Zapier. What we use Zapier for is form management on our website. So we need to get information about memberships and purchases from our website into Salesforce, which is where we track all of our information. Um, and we basically use Zapier as a middleware for that. It'll take their information and upload it into Salesforce. Kind of to, to wrap things up, what I wanted to talk about is is there's two ways that I kind of look at when is the right time to uh, use this stuff. Yeah. And, and the one is you've got a board member who comes to you that says like, look, this is a nightmare to do every year. I'm tired of it. I don't want to do this. I don't want to keep track of our membership on a spreadsheet or I don't want to, you know, send out newsletters by creating this PDF and emailing it out and whatever it is. Right. And, and so, well, let's look at a solution and kind of go from there. Right. But there's also, you know, can we get ahead of these things? Can we try to make sure that before we get to somebody's, uh, you know, on the edge of burning out, can we try to jump into some of these tools and these resources ahead of time? And, and I don't know if there's a perfect answer, but what have you kind of found from your experience? Like, have you, have you right from the get go of your, your, you know, five years of existence, did you dive into a lot of these resources or did they kind of get added slowly with time? Yeah. So um, from my day job, I can tell you that a lot of folks don't actually think about doing anything until there are pain points. <laughs> and that's <laughs> actually that what we call them. When I worked, yeah, that's, uh, I remember that term when I worked at Trail Forks, pain points. That's right. <laughs> yep. Um, so, I mean, we, we uh, at Swimbo, we had pain points and we addressed them over time. If I was to go back and do it again, I would say that we should have gone through a strategic planning process specifically for technology mm. um, because we kind of fell into a number of these things um, by accident, but we ended up making the right decision when we got there. But anytime when you're trying to deal with a pain point, you're not really thinking about the long term. Um, you're thinking about reducing stress in the short term. Luckily, we, we had a number of people who work in software on our board, so we kind of knew that we needed to think a little bit more dynamically about these things than mm -hmm. just, oh, hey, we need to manage membership. Let's go get a membership platform. We knew that we wanted to not just track membership. We wanted to track members and donors, transactions, donations in the same spot. Yeah. And <laughs> you can't do that with all of the different software options out there if you're just trying to manage membership. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I'd say it's kind of a combination of both for new organizations. It's very beneficial to actually sit down, have a meeting about exactly what is currently going well, what's going wrong, 
and tools that we that they could use to fix that. For older organizations, it's going to be a little bit more difficult because they've already kind of entrenched their volunteers and employees in a certain system mm-hmm. um, for so long. And I mean, even bigger organizations like IMBA go through this. <laughs> oh, uh, it's so, a great example, right? <laughs> yeah. So they were at one point they were considering leaving CVCRM uh, for their membership platform, but they stayed with it probably because nobody in their organization knows how to use anything else. Yeah. And they've got such a customized instance that it doesn't make sense to migrate anymore. Yeah. So. Yeah, it's an interesting one. We we sometimes create our own problems. Yeah. <laughs> there yeah. With some of this stuff. When, when you're making a software decision specifically, I, I'd say that you need to think about 10 years down the road. Is this still yeah. going to be the right solution for us? Because if you get to the point where like, we're right at the point where we're hitting 2,000 members, mm-hmm. if we had thought about a membership platform that's great for an organization of 100 to 200 members, we'd be having to switch platforms right now, Yeah, which is just not, not an easy process. Mm-hmm. So there's there's one thing that you mentioned earlier, and it was about how you you said there, you'd be amazed at how many graphic designers are are in your community, and I, it kind of sparked something where I think that's true for a lot of of various professions that might exist out there, and and I think if you've got somebody that that is savvy to this, um, but might not necessarily have the time, like graphic designers, they are going to probably be very busy with their work, but. I'm always looking for new volunteers. And I think sometimes when it comes to volunteering for the board of directors, that is a big undertaking for somebody, but there's always an opportunity to try to find somebody who might just be able to come in and, and, you know, work as a, you know, for lack of a better term as a consultant, right? Somebody that can just kind of help out a board. You know, if you've got someone on the board like yourself who is well-versed in a lot of this stuff, it's great. What, you know, that's a fantastic resource, but there's going to be a lot of organizations out there that don't have that type of experience on their board. And so if they wanted to do a call out to their community to kind of say like, is there anybody in the community that wants to help us out? Come on in for a couple of hours, a few hours, and just kind of help us navigate some of this stuff and give us a bit of a game plan or, and, and maybe consult or sit on a, a committee for a couple of months um, as we kind of come up with a plan for this, how, how would you make that call out? Like what's the wording that you would want to use to the community? Who are you looking for within a community to help you with this stuff? Yeah. So that very much depends on what you're looking for from software. If you're looking for someone who's got a very broad background of software stuff, you're going to want to look for someone who's in IT as opposed to something that's very specific. So like a general company IT administrator will have a broad background in a number of different software platforms that'll allow you to have a fairly unique view into all of the different capacities that your organization can optimize through different tools. But if you're looking for a very specific thing, like um, I'll just use the example of our membership. If you're looking for a membership management platform, um, you might want to target specific software companies that do membership management and see if there's any customers of that platform in your area. And then you can reach out to those customers, which are probably going to be nonprofits as well, Mm -hmm. um, and ask them if they have anyone who is involved with setting it up that can quickly meet with you. When it comes to folks who are donating their time tech-wise, there's a whole, whole bunch of folks who are in the tech community, everywhere from folks who just do customer relationship management, which is just like picking up the phone and talking with a customer and doing stuff for businesses like IT help or IT support all the way to folks who never leave their computer and just code all the time. Um, so you want to be pretty specific on what you want from there as well. Um, a board of directors might not want to have a developer on it. <laughs> um, whereas you may not want to have a general business consultant working on a development project. Mm. So <laughs> for example, gotcha. I'm, I'm not a very good coder, so I don't do coding <laughs> unless I absolutely need to. I'll, I'll reach yeah. out to someone I know to do the coding. But if you don't, if your board of directors doesn't have a tech person on there, you won't be able to tell the difference between something that's point and click or in something that's going to require a significant amount of coding. 
Yeah, so you might need yeah. to reach out to a, a tech consultant or a tech yeah. or an IT professional and figure it out. Most of the time, folks will be pretty generous with their time, though, with nonprofits. Companies like Salesforce actually require their partners to do 1% of all of their hours as donations to nonprofits. Oh. So um, you can look into Salesforce partner communities for that. And then Salesforce nonprofits also does a number of different work with uh, their partner communities and doing implementations. And a lot of different companies will do this as well. Salesforce is just an example. They're out there. <laughs> they definitely exist. Most of them are still very gainfully employed right now. So yeah, they yeah. should have uh, plenty of time to donate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, fantastic. Uh, that's awesome, Ian. Well, thanks so much for taking the time uh, to chat with me. Before before I let you go, what's uh, what's the ways to kind of get a hold of and and have a look at the Southwest uh, Montana Mountain Bike Association? What's your website? What's your uh, what's your social media handles? Yeah, so you can go to southwestmontanamba.org. Our Facebook is SWMMBAMT, and our Instagram is SWMontanaMBA. And uh, if you need to reach me, I'm just Ian at southwestmontanamba.org. Awesome. Well, thanks so much, Ian. I, I really appreciate uh, all of this, all your insight into this. And I think it's, uh, it's going to help a lot of people. Yeah. Thank you very much for having me on, Brent. This episode of the podcast was recorded on the traditional territory of the Tsleil-Waututh, Squamish, Musqueam, and Stolo Nations. My guests join me from the traditional territory of the Apsalg, Salish Kootenai, and the Tsitsin Tsitsos. If you're curious to learn more about the traditional territory that you occupy and recreate on, then visit native-lands.ca. Like always, you can find the show on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at FrontlinesMTB. You can also join the Facebook group at Advocates on the Frontlines of MTB. And you can send me an email or audio file to info at frontlinesmtb.com. You can stream the show on Mountain Bike Radio, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and SoundCloud. And if you haven't done so already, leave a review on wherever you get the show. It helps others find the podcast. Don't forget to support the show via PayPal. You can find a link in the show notes along with links to the Frontlines MTB Book Club, where a portion of any purchases made on Amazon after following those links will be sent to the podcast. In the show notes, you'll also find links to the Southwest Montana Mountain Bike Association and a number of resources mentioned in today's episode. A big thanks to Ian Jones for not only the interview, but the episode concept as well. I'll be back with another episode in two weeks. The topic has yet to be decided. I'm still kind of working on a, a few different shows over the next few episodes. If you have ideas, things you want to talk about on the podcast, reach out, let me know. I'm always looking for new ideas. Thank you to this episode's sponsor, Tools for Trails. For a 30% discount, go to toolsfortrails.com slash discount slash podcast. Music, as always, is by Lee Rosevear. Production notes by Jennifer Pride. Artwork is created by Brandon Gallagher-Watson and BGW Creative. And a big thanks to Ben Wellnock and the team at Mountain Bike Radio for their continued support. And finally, I'm Brent Hillier. This is Frontlines. Thanks for listening and stay safe out there.